Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, we're going to be talking about who God is and who we are as his children, living up to our name as Christians. This is a song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32. And I'll be reading both from the ESV version and the New King James version. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. Have you ever heard a parent say, I taught you better than that, or you know better than that, that's not how I raised you, things like that? Well, That is what this lesson is about today. God is telling the people he raised them better than that. This is not how he has taught them to act. And yet, that's how they're acting. On the last episode, Moses addressed the people, told them that he was about to die, but that he was commissioning Joshua to take his place as their leader. And after that, God called Moses and Joshua into the tabernacle and spoke with them directly. And while he was in there, he commissioned Joshua himself, but he also told Moses, hey, the people are not always going to act the way that you've taught them or the way that I want them to act. And so I want you to write this song down before you die and deliver it to them as a warning so that maybe when they begin to get off course, they'll remember this song and it will help them to act the way they were raised. And so today we're gonna read that song. And before Moses gets started, he just addresses the people and tells them how important this song is for them to listen to. And then he hopes these words will fall on them like rain. It's a very, it's a song. So this is all poetic, so it's very beautiful. So this is Deuteronomy 32, 1 through 3. This is the address that he's giving to them before he begins this song. And he says, Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. So he says like three or four different times about the rain, that he wants it, his teaching to drop on them like rain. I want these words to fall on you. I want my speech to distill as the dew, you know, just sit on you. I want it to be gentle and and water you and grow you in the Lord. That's the purpose of these words. And then he begins to read them. So this is four, five, and six. And he says, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. 
They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they're blemished. They're a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he'll show you your elders and they will tell you. So he first starts out by saying, this is who your God is. Your God is perfect. He's the rock. What is a rock? It's something that's steady, stable, strong, right? So he's saying God is all of those things. He's the foundation. He is the foundation of their entire nation. He is their rock. He's perfect. His ways are just. He's faithful. He has no sins. Everything he does is right. This is who your God is. And then he says, but you've dealt corruptly with him. You're no longer his children because you're blemished and you're crooked and twisted. And so last week, if you remember, I said that God never leaves us or forsakes us. And I used the prodigal son as the example of this, how the dad never denounced his son. The son came to him and said, I no longer am worthy to be called your son. Just let me be your servant. And the dad said, no, you're my son. I love you. I've never quit loving you. I've been waiting on you to come home. And I use that analogy. And then this week, God's saying, you're no longer my children. <laughs> so it sounds like a complete contradiction, but it's not. What he's saying is exactly what I was saying that parents sometimes say to their children, I didn't teach you to act like this. This is not how you were raised. And that's what God's saying. He says, I am perfect. I'm upright. I'm just. I'm faithful. I'm strong. You're none of these things. You have perverted and twisted everything I am. Everything I taught you to be, you took it and you, you twisted it to be something that you wanted. That word blemished means defective. There's a defect in your character. You know, a, a father hands down his characteristics, his traits to his child. And his child is supposed to look like him. And that's what God is saying. You're supposed to look like my children, but there's a defect in your character. It's flawed. You're not acting like me at all. You've gotten off the path. You're twisted. You're a twisted generation. You've perverted all of my good qualities. Crooked, right? Just like a foolish child, they're going against everything that their father has taught them. And considering who their father was, the way they were acting made absolutely no sense. And so he's saying, is this really how you're going to repay your father by acting like this? You know, when a child grows up, and brings shame to his father, looks nothing like his father. It's like, is this really how you repay your dad after all he's done for you? We are God's children if we have placed our faith and trust in his son, Jesus. And not only did God create every single person on earth, so he's 
in effect, everyone's father, but he's the father of their nation because he has created their nation. And he's our father because we're born in his spirit whenever we trust in the saving grace of his son. And so we want to live up to our family name. Whenever we decide to follow Jesus, we are called Christian, which means Christ follower. So the question to ask ourselves would be, are we following Christ? Because if we're not following Christ, then we're not living up to our name. And so the solution here is, if you have forgotten who your father is and what he has taught you, you need to remind yourself. And if you can't remember, then you need to ask your fathers or your elders and let them remind you everything that God has done for you. Ephesians 5, 1 says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Just as children imitate their fathers, we too are supposed to imitate God. And that's what Moses was telling the people. He said, this is who your God is, and you're not imitating him. You look nothing like your father. And then he goes on not just to tell them who their father is, the rock, the perfect one, the faithful one, but he gives this beautiful picture of him as a protector and a provider and a caregiver. And so just listen to this picture that he paints with his words. So beautiful. This is verse eight. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided them. No foreign God was with them. He made him ride on the high places of the land. And he ate the produce of the field. And he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock herds from the herd and milk from the flock with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats with the very finest of the wheat. And you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grapes. How beautiful. Psalms are so poetic, right? And so he's describing God first as the apple of their eye. It says he encircles them like the iris encircles our pupil. How important it is that our iris is protecting it. And so he says, that's what God does. He completely surrounds his children and keeps anything that's trying to harm you out. What a beautiful picture. And then the next thing, this teacher and caregiver, he describes as the mother eagle that hurries her chicks from the nest and says, go out, fly, fly. And then she flutters around them. And when they get tired and they begin to fall, she goes below them and catches them with her wings. 
And then she flies them to a safe place and she sits them down and she lets them rest for a minute. And then she says, all right, time to go back out. Do it again. Let's go. You've got this. That is our God. In the beginning, when we trust God with our lives, it's all new. We're like baby chicks. We're just baby Christians learning how to follow God. And he's so patient with us. He knows that we're not going to get everything right. He knows that we're going to fall into our old habits and our old ways. And he says, it's okay. Whenever you fail, I will catch you. But then I'm going to say, all right, you got your breath. You messed up. It's okay. I saved you. Now go back out. Try again. Practice. Do better. And so, again, a beautiful picture. And then after that, he tells how he has made them ride on the high places of the land, which means giving them the best of the land. And then he lists all of the things that he's given to them. So he's providing for them. Listen, even out of the rock, he gives them honey. I was confused about this. I'm like, Honey comes from the rock. How does that work? And when I read in the commentaries, it said that God had brought the bees to make hives in the cleft of the rock so that they would have honey, even from something that has no ability to give life. That is how great our God is, that he's providing from them, even in the rocky places. He's letting olive trees grow from the rocky soil. And then he's giving them meat and wheat and wine and milk and cheese. All of these wonderful things that you don't get in a barren land. All of these things are being given to them by their God. And so he says, if you've forgotten who your God is, this is who he is. The one that protects you completely surrounds you and takes all the arrows for you, protects you completely. The one that is patient with you and teaches you and catches you when you fall. And the one that gives you all the things that you need. He is the one that is your father. And this is how you repay him. By acting like this. By perverting his goodness. Forgetting where you came from. Not following any of his teachings. Allowing your character to be degraded. In Psalm 125, it says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which can't be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Another picture of how God surrounds us and protects us. When we trust in him. First Peter 2, 2 and 3 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted the Lord is gracious. So just talking again about how we're babies and we need to be given the milk of God's word. That is how we will grow. That is how we will mature. That is how we will get better. And then Moses goes on in verses 15 to 18, and he says, But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat 
stout, and sleek. And then he forsook the God that made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. So what he's saying is like all of these things God did for you. And then like a spoilt child, you turned away from him. You took all of his blessings and you said, I'm good. I got this. I don't need my parents anymore. The name Jeshurun means upright ones. And so he's sarcastically calling them the upright ones. He says, you got fat. You enjoyed all my blessings and then you kicked them away. You rebelled against every bit of it. And then you made your God jealous because you went after gods who aren't even gods. They have no power. They're inanimate objects, things made by man who was made by God. You were unmindful of your God. You forgot who gave you birth. Forgot where you came from. You weren't paying attention. Sometimes we disobey God purposefully, but sometimes we're just not mindful of who he is, what he expects of us, and why he deserves our obedience. And we just forget what he's taught us. We grow complacent and just begin to drift away. And so God says, don't do that. In Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. So this gives the impression of, you know, walking in the counsel of the wicked, and then standing in their presence, and then just going ahead and sitting down. And that's what happens whenever we are complacent. We just slowly drift away. At first, we're just kind of entertaining it. And then we stop and we just stay right there in the midst of it. And then finally, we're like, we're just going to sit right on down. So this song is reminding them, that's what you've done. You were unmindful of your God. You've forgotten who gave you birth. Okay, and then 19 to 27 says, The Lord saw it, and he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. He said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom there is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They've provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people, and I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth in its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap disasters upon them. I'll spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted away with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them and the venom of things that crawl in the dust. 
Outdoors, the sword shall bereave, and indoors, terror. For young man and woman alike, the nursing child with the man of gray hairs. I would have said, cut them to pieces and I'll wipe them from human memory, had I not feared provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is triumphant and it wasn't the Lord that did all of this. So what he's saying here is, because you have withdrawn from me, I will withdraw my hand of protection and blessing on you. And so now you will be hungry, you will be sick, you will be afraid. And this is going to affect everyone, young and old, because the entire nation has turned against me. And then he says something very interesting, again, very poetic. He says, you made me jealous with a God who isn't a God. Well, I'll make you jealous with a nation that isn't a nation. He's using an analogy that we might would understand if we were jealous, right? So how a person would try to make their partner jealous by pretending to be attracted to someone else. He's saying, that's what I'll do. I'll pretend to align myself with this nation who isn't a nation, which what he's saying is, you know, these are not my people, but I'm going to act like they are. I'm going to align myself with them. I'm going to help them defeat you. They're going to capture you, take you into their nation, and then I'll let you worship their gods as you already chose to do and see if those gods who are not gods can do any of the things for you that you were getting from me. They won't. They can't. They have no power. And so I'm going to allow you to go your own way and see where that gets you. And then you're going to look and you're going to think, has God turned against us and sided with these people? And then you're going to say, wait, wait, I want you, God. I don't like their God. He doesn't do anything for me. And then you will come back to me. And so, again, God isn't forsaking them just as that person that the the spouse is pretending to be attracted to is just a tool. It's just being used. That's what God is doing with this nation. He later on in this verse says, I'll punish this nation. But right now I'm using them because I want you to come to me humbly. I want you to decide that you were foolish to turn away from me. And you decide you want me back. And when you decide you want me back, then I will take you back. But right now, you don't want me, so you can go. I'll help those other people, and I'll use them to make you jealous, to make you turn back to me. I'm going to continue reading 28 all the way to 38. For they are a nation void of counsel, and there's no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this and they would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand and two have put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from their fields of, Go of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is in the poison of the serpents and the cruel venom of asps. 
is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasures. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there's none remaining bond or free. Then he will say, where are their gods and the rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be, let them be your protection. So this is where God's saying, I'm going to store up all of the bad things that they're doing to you and I'll take vengeance on them, but not until you realize that their gods have no power and that you were foolish to turn to them and you turn back to me. And then at the beginning of that, he says, you know, I wish that you could get this before all of these bad things happen. That's why I'm giving you this song. I wish you could take the warning ahead of time. Isn't that what every parent wishes? You don't ever want to punish your children. You're hoping that the warning is enough. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. And God says, I sure wish that you could see what was going to happen to you and understand the gravity of it and that it would matter to you enough that you would change what you're doing before all of these bad things have to happen to you. But if you're not going to, then you can go to these other nations and these other gods and you can see how it works for you because you will come back because I'm the only true God. I've done all these wonderful things for you and you don't appreciate them. And then listen to this, how he says, how could one have chased a thousand or two have chased 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up. So that's what I was talking. I guess I got a little ahead of myself. That's what I was talking about whenever he says, I'll make you jealous with the other nations. He says, they couldn't have defeated you if I didn't allow it. But because you have turned against me, then I'm using them and pretending to side with them. And I am giving you up to them. They couldn't have chased you away if their rock hadn't sold them. This reminds me of exactly what Jesus told Pilate whenever Pilate said, Hey, I'm trying to help you and you won't defend yourself. Don't you understand that I have the power to kill you or to save you? And Jesus said, You wouldn't have any power at all if God hadn't given it to you. And so that's what he's saying is that God has aligned himself with the enemies for this moment because he's using them to teach his people a lesson. A way for us to understand this would be like how a parent has complete total power to beat their kid in a game, but I'll restrain my power and I'll allow him to win as long as he doesn't get too cocky, right? And then if he starts getting a little too too impressed with himself, then I can say, I'll show you, you're not as good as you think you are. I actually am the most powerful. I was just letting you win. That's what God is doing with these people. He's letting them win. They have no power without it. Then he says, these are wicked and evil people, and I will take vengeance on them 
Because just like Sodom and Gomorrah, their roots are evil. They think that they have defeated you. They've captured you and they think that they've won. And so it tastes sweet to them right now. But the grapes that they're drinking are poison. They're the very thing that is going to make them meet their demise. It's the whole thing that is going to destroy them in the end. So right now they're enjoying it, but this sweet taste is going to turn to poison and it's going to kill. That's how my vengeance will be in the end. But right now I'm letting them think they win. And then in verse 39, it says, Now see that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Nor is there any who can deliver from my hand. For I raise my hand to heaven and say, As I live forever, if I whet my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword will devour the flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the heads of the leaders of the enemy. So what he's saying is, is those that I protect, I choose to protect are protected. Those that I choose to destroy are destroyed. So you want to make sure that you are on my side. You want to align yourself with me. Because I have all the power. And you know, sometimes people think that makes God sound like a horrible God. Well, do we think that our father is horrible because he has all the power? No, because he uses his power for our good. And all of the beginning of this told us how God is loving and protective and kind and patient. And he teaches us and He gives us all of the things that we need. So he's not a bad God, but he does expect obedience just like any father does. He wants his children to look like him. Psalm 33.10 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people to no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people he has chosen as his inheritance. And then skip to 16. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man isn't delivered by great strength. The horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. So God's plans are the ones that prevail. And so we don't want to trust in horses. We don't want to trust in our own strength. We want to trust in the Lord and then he will be our shield. We want him fighting for us. So we need to remember who we belong to, how we were raised. And then Moses ends with this, verse 43. 
Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and for his people. He takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Rejoice, O Gentiles. Gentiles are all the people that are not the Jews. So he's singing this song to the Jews and then he says, but I invite anyone, even those of the nations who have captured my people, if you also realize that your God is no God, and you want to follow the God who has power, then you can join too. Even in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, God invited everyone to follow him. But he used his nation, Israel, to be his representative. And if they wanted to follow God, then they had to join that nation and assimilate into that. You know, this whole song is talking about how the people, God's people, are rejecting him. And once Jesus came, God's people, those Jews, they rejected him again. And at that time, God didn't just say, oh, all you Gentiles who might happen to hear this this song, you can join in with my Jewish people. After that, he told Peter, he says, go preach the gospels to the ends of the earth. This salvation is open to everyone. The Jews have rejected my son, Jesus, my way of saving them. And so I want you to go and I want you to evangelize this message and tell everyone that they can join in this family and they can call themselves Christians and then they can imitate their God and be part of this family. In Romans 10 and 11, I would encourage y'all to go and read those two chapters. It talks about this, um, and I don't want to read all of it to you, but I will, I will hit a couple of the, the verses for you. In Romans 10, 1, it says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved, for Israel that they might be saved. He says, I sure do wish that the Jews would accept Jesus. But then it goes down to verse 9 and it says, But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him for the dead, you will be saved. And then skip down to 11. It says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction now between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So now it's opened up to everyone, everyone that chooses to believe in and follow Jesus. And then he quotes in this same chapter, this verse where he talks about making the Jews jealous with the Gentiles because he's opened it up now to all of the people. And now, by giving all of us opportunity to believe in Jesus, this is being ultimately fulfilled, that he is making the Jews jealous with us. And so this is verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then Isaiah is so bold to say, 
I've been found by those who didn't seek me. That's us. We were not Jews. Most of us anyway, weren't born Jews. And we didn't seek him out, but we found him. I've shown myself to those who didn't ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I ask them, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite. This is Paul talking. And so he says, I'm an Israelite and I decided to follow Jesus. And you can too, even though as a nation, you may have rejected God. Anyone can choose to follow him now and you will be his people. That was the first verse of 11. And then down in verse 11, 11, it says, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Remember how the eagle catches her chick, her chicks when they fall? He says, no, they didn't stumble just so they could fall. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So one day, the Jews will know they'll believe in Jesus. And it's our job to evangelize and tell everyone that they need to call on the name of the Lord. He goes on in that and talks about how when a branch is broken off of a tree, others can be grafted in, and that's what has happened to us. And we have been grafted onto the vine. And now we get to be part of his family. But any of those Jews that also want to be grafted back in, they can. So that's how beautiful that uh, Romans 11 is, if you want to go and read it. And then uh, we'll finish uh, Deuteronomy 32, uh, 44 through 47 says, Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. He and Joshua, the son of Nun, And when he had finished speaking all of these words to Israel, he said, this is the important part for us. Take to heart all of these words that I'm warning you today, that you may command them to your children, and that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. And then listen to this, for it is no empty word to you, but it is your very life. By this word, you will live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. It is the same thing for us. This Bible, this word of God is no empty word to you. It is not a book to be set upon a shelf collecting dust. They are not just words. It is our very life. And so we need to treat his word as special and act as if it is the most important thing to us. These are the words to live by. So after that, God just tells Moses, hey, you are about to die. And so it's about time for you to go up on the mountain and see the land that the Israelites are going to go into, and then you will die. And so all of 33, Moses blesses each one of the tribes of Israel 
Now, I'm not going to teach the blessings on the podcast. And so if you want to go through that study, then you'll need to go to Substack. Now that I'm putting all of the studies on Substack, most every one of them you will get for free on the podcast. But this one isn't very easy to listen to, but it is interesting to study. So if you're interested in doing that, you can go over to Substack. It's $6 a month and you'll get four lessons every month for that price. And they're most of the time the lessons that I teach on the podcast, but now and then it'll just be a lesson that you'll only get there. And so you can do that or you can just for yourself, just go and read uh, Deuteronomy 33, all the blessings that Moses gave to the people. Then you can also go back to Genesis 49, where Jacob blessed his sons directly. And you can compare those two. That's what we do in the study. And then at the end of that chapter, it just talks about how God is unique. Their God is the best God. And because of their God, they're a unique nation. And so in the study, we just expand upon that and how we are so blessed to have a God that loves us and that our God is the only real, true living God. And then there's just a few verses there. But again, you can read it for yourself. It's a very easy read and beautiful there at the end. And so that's all we're going to do today. Next week, we will talk about Moses and his life. We're going to talk about how he dies and maybe a little bit of our own legacy and what we want to leave behind, what Moses has left behind. And then we're going to go to Psalm 90 because Moses wrote that Psalm and talk about how short our lives are and how important it is to make every day count. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. And then join me on Substack if you want to do that. The link will be in the description of this podcast. Also, there's a blog post about not looking like your father. So you can go to livethroughjesus.com and read that blog post. Makes the lesson just a little more relatable. And then follow me on all the social media pages because I will be putting verses on there throughout the week. So anyway, I hope that you've enjoyed this and I will see you back next week. Thanks. Have a good day. Thank you.